As we're going through this passage, um, it, it come to this, uh, this, these particular two verses. And actually, we taught it just a couple of weeks ago in youth group. And, and so it was kind of a natural thing. Plus, I guess, let the youth guy talk about the kids, right? Uh, so, so here we go. Let's see what we got, right? Have you ever been accused of being like your parents? Like maybe you look like them or there's a gesture or a term. I see some heads, right? Uh, happens at my house sometimes. Uh, uh, we got one of mine. Um, he's here today. I didn't know he was going to be here. He goes to UK and he snuck in on me this weekend. And so I told him, I said, you're in the sermon. But, uh, but, but you know, uh, uh, he gets told a lot that he looks like me. And, uh, uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, you think so? <laughs> really? Like he's almost excited, you know? Maybe this will help? There you go. There's a young 17-year-old Chris Bartley. Randy Travis hair. Hair. <laughs> Should have started there and worked my way in, you know. Marching band uniform. On top of the work. Maybe this will help. You know, maybe you see it, maybe you don't. Uh, I'm just saying that when people who knew me when I was his age tell him, you got to be kin to Chris. And he loves it. So when I was growing up, like, uh, um, uh, there, there was TV families that you felt inspired a culture, inspired our culture, inspired our nation, and, and things like that. And really, I know there's a lot... I know there's a whole lot of those TV families, but for me, there was three that kind of rise up to the top, right? Uh, the first one is the Cleavers, right? I get, yeah. Uh, and, and so this is your typical all-American family. Um, they were doing the best they could just, to, you know, to make it through, and they're growing up, and, and Beaver, the younger one, would lead them on these crazy adventures. You never knew what him, what he would get in, him and Wally would get into, Right? And so the family would chase them around. Uh, there was good parenting tips, lots of things that would come from this show uh, that was good. It was good TV. Then become the Brady Bunch, right? So this is a blended family. Um, and they were trying to figure out a new life, a new way in this blended family. And you never knew where the antics come from uh, in this family uh, because it is blended. And the blended people said, Amen. Uh, you never knew where the excitement or, or anything would come from. And, and so you've got to go on lots of adventures and watch them grow together and spend time together uh, as a family. <laughs> and, and then there's one more. There's one more. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Adams family. But you can't guess which one I'm going to be for Halloween. <laughs> if I could just get the rest of them to do it. Uh, but they were odd. They were odd, right, right? But they were unapologetically odd. I mean, they didn't care that they were odd. In fact, they loved each other so much that if you were what we call normal, they thought you were odd. And, 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 so, and so they loved that family unit. Um, I don't know where you fit in. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe there's another TV family that comes to mind for you. Uh, uh, but, but I thought it'd be fun to think about where do we fit in. So I heard a story recently, as I've been getting ready for this, about this young boy. Um, him, you know, he's, he's a young boy, uh, and, and his sister was younger, uh, his mother. They found themselves living with Grandma. Times had got hard, Mom working two jobs. 
Um, she, she still served on, on the, the PTO, the parent-teacher organization. She still did that. She even put her time at the concession stand. She was trying to do everything she could. But money got too tight, got evicted, found herself living with grandma. And, and, and over the months that followed, you know, teachers and different people in the, uh, uh, around them were trying to figure out how do, we, how do we solve this problem? How do we solve this problem? And so one of the teachers that he had... Uh, uh, confided in, who was very aware of the situation, the little boy, was sitting with her one day, and they were talking about it. And she said, you know, um, there's a group of us who are trying to get you your very own home. And the boy said, we got a good home. We just need a house to put it in. There's all kinds of houses. There's all kinds of houses. There's big ones, there's small ones, there's ones that are connected, there's mobile ones, there's all sorts of different houses. But a home, it's a little different. It's a little more rare. The difference between a house and a home is a house is a physical structure and it can be built out of anything, brick, wood, really any kind of material. But a home is different. A home is a place of love and forgiveness, commitment, communication. It's a place where... where, where where uh, relationships are nurtured and brought together. Uh, 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 and the young boy, he had that figured out. He, he knew what the difference was between a house and a home. And in our scriptures today, uh, it, it really piggybacks off of the last two weeks of, of Jared's sermons. And if you've not been here, that's okay. We're going to catch up. I'm going to preach all the way through them, and then we'll get to month. No. Uh, but, but I think we've got to get a run and go at these two scriptures that we're going to look at today to get the full concept of what Paul is communicating to us. He's building this, this foundation for us uh, about how houses become homes. And, and so we're going to back up and we're going to start at verse 17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, submit to your husbands... As fitting for those who belong to the Lord, husbands, love your wives, never treat them harshly. And then the scriptures for the day. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will soon become discouraged. And, and so really, it's like we're looking at this corporate structure. Uh, Paul had started at the top, work as if you're working for the Lord, and worked his way down, you know, for the Lord and down into the marriage situation. And we're thinking about the home, down into the marriage situation. And, and now on down one more rank to, to the kids, you know, one more step to the kids looking at children. Do you see how, to, how he builds that? Do whatever you do as if you're doing it for the Lord. And, and in, in, in whatever you do, make sure that your marriage is included in that. And whatever you do, make sure your marriage is included and you, and you are married as if you're, you're doing that in front of the Lord. Because I know when you go to the store, you act different than you do at home. But, 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 and then even in that, how does, how does being a good child play into this as well? So if you notice, as we read through that, Paul uses a different word when he talks about children than he does when he talked about wives. Um, uh, he goes from submit, which if you remember... Last week, uh, Jared gives us the Greek, right? Hupotasso, right? Like a rank in the army. And I know you use that on Facebook all the time this week. But, uh, but now he says, with the children, he says, obey. 
And so it's almost the same word, but, but it's got a little, little chip uh, in the Greek, right? Hupakuso. Hupakuso. So it's just a little bit different. And that means to listen under, you know, to understand and respond. Obedience, like an, as an outward expression of a heart that's been turned toward God. And, and, and so it is, there's a, there's a little difference there. So for me... Um, I look at obey, and I think about my childhood, and like, like it's a four-letter word, right? I know this is going to be hard for you to believe. I was a little rambunctious as I grew up. Uh, and if my mom was here, she'd have both hands in her hair, shouting, right? Uh, I, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I, I didn't take what they call correction very well. Uh, when I was in the seventh grade... Um, I had, I had an English teacher, and some of you know her, um, Becky Venners, right? Some of you guys know her. Uh, so she was my seventh grade English teacher, and she was so fortunate enough to get me in her homeroom as well. It's not just English, but in her homeroom. Uh, and uh, she still talks about today. Only the good ones. Um, but, 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 but she got me, the way it worked at Elkhorn was uh, like, like you would be in your homeroom, and then you would transfer out, like you'd change classes for three classes in middle school. But for the bulk of your day, you were in your homeroom, and they got to give you a lot of that core instruction. And, and, and I'm going to tell you this, uh, Miss Venners loved me, and I am certain of this. And she didn't just love me because I was one of her students, but, but she was tough on me. I mean, she really was. She, uh, she wasn't afraid to use the lumber of discipline. <laughs> On me. That's back whenever that was, you know, like she, she come to the hallway for a minute. Uh, double digit times. Not triple digit. I made a run for it there around Christmas, but I come back down. I don't know what happened, but it got close. But really, she loved me as Chris Bartley. Somebody who had value. Uh, somebody who, 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 who had a worth. And, and somebody who had a call. I mean, she even told me years later that she saw something special in me and in my life. Something that, that I couldn't even see at the time. Uh, she said that she thought then that God had his hand on my life and, and was doing a work in me. And so she loved me enough to discipline me. And looking back, I get that. I mean, I really understand uh, what she was doing. If she would have thought that all I was going to be was this rambunctious student that wasn't even trying, she'd have just left me alone. But she loved me enough to give me the discipline to help pull me back in line as best she could. And it was because of her hanging in there with me and pushing me as I was taking classes not too long ago at some of the most prestigious colleges and universities in the whole world, uh, I, I had a better grasp. I had a firm grasp on writing and, and, and on different things, and it helped propel me uh, to a place that I could learn better and I could submit my papers better. Just everything worked better. I had a better understanding. I said all that to say this. Discipline is not a bad thing. We're talking about obey, and so you have to bring this discipline in there. It's not a bad thing. Um, I know we feel pressure from culture, from others, uh, to be our, our kids' friends and not their parent, but that's not to call on our life. Proverbs 23, 13 says this, Do not withhold correction from a child. 
For if you beat him with a rod, he won't die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Feels a little different, right? So the message says it like this. Don't be afraid to correct your young ones. A good spanking won't kill them. Right? A good spanking, in fact, might save them from something worse than death and eternity in hell. Or you may have heard this this way, as I heard it many times, as my dad would take me by the arm, leave me outside, right? Spare the rod, spoil the child, right? Uh, so, so the Greek word that's used here uh, uh, means, and also in our verse for child, for children, right, uh, is any child that's living under the protection and comfort of our household. So high school students who are just trying to figure it out, right? applies to them. College kids who you're covering the bills for, maybe even some bills for, this goes to them. Even adult kids who the parents are supporting or helping, if you're covering the insurance, this applies to them. So here's a practical tip. You have to discipline accordingly. Um, for a certain age, you're going to spank them. Then there's other age, uh, you turn off the phone, park the car, Turn off the credit card. Those kind of things. Uh, parents, listen to me. I want you to hear this. Children, I want you to hear this. Your parents are not called to be the children's friend. They're called to be the parents and to raise them with godly morals, godly values, great principles. Our society needs you now to get this more than it has at any other time. We've got to get a hold of this. Uh, they're going to love you. They're going to mess it up along the way. Parents, I know you've messed it up. I've messed it up. Listen, I'm not standing up here as an expert. I'm telling most of this comes from what I've done wrong. But we've got to get a hold for the sake of the gospel. It's not about, and, and, and when we talk about discipline, it's not about using your kids as a whipping post either. Uh, I don't live in a dream world. In fact, I'm in a lot of bad situations. Uh, and, and I know that, that some of you here, your lives uh, were and maybe are hard because you have an abusive parent. And if that's you, I'm sorry. Uh, and I want you to know that there's people here who would love to step in and help fill that void, help you heal from the hurt, help you heal from those scars, uh, that, that, that God does have a plan for you, and, and that he loves you. And there's a group of people here that love you. But that word obey... It's the same word that's used in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. And it says, It was by faith that Abraham obeyed God and called him to leave his home and to go to another land that, that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. So do you see this? This is a small word, obey. Uh, but it's got a lot of depth. And inside of it, there's trust. Uh, it, it's not just like, I'm going to go and just see how it goes, we'll see if this works out or not, I don't know, you know, but it's a trust that says, I'm going to abandon everything that I know because I trust that you have my best interest at hand, that my heart is what matters to you the most. That's the trust that's, that's here. And so when we look at obey, it's more about an attitude than it is just following rules. Um, and, and so we find that attitude is in honoring your parents, right? Uh, so that's, that's the fifth commandment. 
Uh, and I think about my situation. I know that, and, and listen, whenever you talk about these things, marriage, children, I know there's a lot of different situations here. And I know some of you grew up in two-parent homes and, and all this. I know some of you grew up without any parents. I know, I know it's, a, it's different. Like, like my situation, my dad had passed away several years ago. And, and, and so even today, I find myself thinking about him uh, and, and thinking, am I honoring to him? Like, like whenever he's, uh, you know, if he was here today, would, would, would what I do and who I am and the way I conduct myself be honoring to him? Because that's the, that's the fifth commandment, right? And, and so Ephesians says, honor your father and mother. And, and, and it says this, that this is the first commandment with a promise. What's the promise? That you might live long on the earth. Beautiful promise. So when you honor, you're going to want to obey. Um, best example I know of honoring your parent, Jesus on the cross. Uh, it was the most painful, excruciating death that, that could happen. Uh, it's the kind of pain that is self-absorbing. The only thing you can think of while, while that pain is happening is how can I get rid of this pain? That's all, you know, it just consumes you. But yet while he was on the cross, he made sure that Mary was taken care of. While he's on the cross, he says, Mother, behold your son. He wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about John, who was beside of Mary, uh, standing there. And, and, and he said, Mother, behold your son. And son, behold your mother. And he was saying, Take care of my mom. Take care of my mom. I'm not going to be here anymore. I want you to take care of her. And the Bible tells us that from that day on, that John took care of Mary and, me, and Jesus made sure that his mother was cared for. He honored his mother. Um, but like I said earlier, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we're separated from our parents for whatever reason. Uh, uh, and, and I think about this. Um, I think about all those situations. I ran into somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we stood right out here and talked. Um, but, but, but because of addiction, it had cost Everything, right? It cost them everything. It cost a career, home, family, husband, children. I mean, anything you can think of is, is what, what it cost. And for 10 plus years, uh, this addiction had, had caused this separation. And um, so we talked for, for forever. Came asking about Celebrate Recovery. You know, so I know, I know y'all are doing that now. What? I learned in rehab the only way I can get better is with God. And I said, you're exactly right. And so we talked. Like, how did you get here? It's like I say, I've knew this person forever. And so they went down, started labeling. You know, here's, here's, here's. But my children, you know, I've not seen them in over 10 years. But they're doing so good. And told me stories about each of them, what they were doing. They kind of kept up with them from a distance, not seen them in over 10 years, kept up with them. And, and, and so, so, so this, this person, well, those kids don't even know it. They don't even know that. But they've honored their, their, their parents uh, in, by just living the good life and really bringing the gospel into that. Like God's doing a work through them into this one, into this person. Your actions and your attitudes will bring, will bring honor to your parent. Even, even if they don't see it right at the moment, even if they don't understand what's going on, God may be doing a work through them to the parents. 
Time out for just a second, right? So I, I know some people are hard to love. I know that. I'm not, I get that. I know that. And they take and they take and they take and they take and there's no give, right? And you just love as hard as, you know, you do everything. But you keep start to think, why do I keep going back to that whipping post? And it, just keep loving them. Just keep loving them and trust that God is doing a work with it. And do the very best you can. You're not, you're not responsible for their actions or their reactions, but you're responsible for what you do. And so just keep pushing through and just keep loving them. I know it's hard. And it's, I've seen parents treat their kids awful. And then no wonder they rebel, right? No wonder they do that. But I've also seen kids be so mean and that the parents have to, have to just stay on them, feel like you're just constantly on them and, and, and just, just down their backs every second. As a youth pastor, kids ask me all the time, why should I even listen to my parents? You know, everything they did is not relevant anymore. I said, well, here's, here's, here's three good reasons. Number one, you're expensive. <laughs> right? You cost a lot of money, right? <laughs> So, so I found this study. The Brookings Institute uh, said by, that right now, by the time you raise a child from birth till age 18, the, they will have an average cost. Now, this is average. Some be higher, some be lower, some be really higher, right? Uh, but, but on average, to raise a child from 18, I mean, from birth till 18, just over $310,000. So I tell you, listen to them or pay them back. You know, pay it back. But there's a better reason. There is a better reason. Uh, and, and, and it's because it, uh, it is well-pleasing to the Lord. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. And so there's a verse that echoes this in Ephesians chapter 6. It says, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, and for this is the right thing to do. Right? It is right. It's the right thing to do. Why is it right? Not because I tell you, not because Jared tells you, not because culture tells you, or society, not because you've been taught this in school, or anything like that. It is right to do because it's what God said is right. And it is pleasing to the Lord. So when you do the right thing by God, it pleases the Lord. And this is an, an easy way. So here's the third reason. Uh, to listen to our parents. It's foundational. If you don't learn obedience at home, you're going to be a rebel the rest of your life. Um, you're going to go against the grain. And, and, and this isn't just for kids, but it's for the parents too. Because parents, uh, uh, if you think that one day your kids are just going to be goofing off and run up on a Bible and flip through and find this and go, oh, maybe I should do that. No, they're not. Uh, chances are they're not. But i tell you what can happen. You can read it to them. You can read it to them as you're training them to walk with the Lord. Uh, you see, this verse is really written for parents. Uh, you teach your children to obey because if they don't learn it at home, uh, what happens when they go to school? I mean, uh, they're going to they're rebel against every teacher, every police officer, every employer, or anybody else where they simply don't get their way. They're going to take their toys and go to the house. Right? They expect mommy and daddy to come in and just clean it up. So the breakdown in society is simply a reflection of the breakdown uh, of the authority in the home. Um, it, it just reflects what's happening in our house. 
And so the final part of all this is, is verse 21. Um, fathers, well, the Greek for that is patares, right? So it's parents. It's really parents. And, and, and so it should, it, it'll read like this. Parents, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. So I, I want to flip that a little bit. I want to turn that into a positive. Encourage your children. Encourage your children. I, I don't care where they are in life. I don't care uh, uh, how old they are, how old you are. I don't care how young they are. What, encourage your children. Um, we have all kinds of jobs and all kinds of tasks. Uh, this is the most important. This is the most important thing is raising a child. I, I know it's the hardest, but God has given us this to do. We, we spend so much time growing our, our, our little kingdom, right? We, we work hard so we can make more money so we can give them more things and we grow our house and we grow our home and we grow, get a new car and we got to give them a phone and we got to get them this and we got to give them that. The single most important thing we can do is give them Jesus. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I heard somebody say it this way, that raising a kid is like pushing an old car in first gear with emergency brake on, loaded with a sumo wrestling team from New York to Hawaii and back. It's hard, right? I mean, it's a big job. It's hard. But here's the kicker when it comes to raising kids. By the time you get all the experience and you kind of get your feet under you and you get to where you need it, you know, where you're figuring this out, you get unemployed. Uh, you're out of a job. They move out. Just when it seems like you get it down, they're gone. They leave the nest. And that's by design. I mean, that's a good thing that they go. I mean, it's hard sometimes, but that's a good thing. The bad thing, it's not healthy for them to stay with you forever. And so when they leave, that's a good thing. But it seems as if just when you get the swing of things, that time comes. And what makes that hard as parents, uh, and as your kids get closer and, and stuff, I mean, you know, we, we've talked about this. Uh, you start to beat yourself up over it. You start second-guessing everything you've done. And you self-doubt. We start to think, did I emphasize the right things? Uh, did I overlook something that I shouldn't have? Did I, did, I, did I not? I mean, was I too hard on them? Was I too soft on them? Did I make them eat the, enough vegetables? No. Uh, did, I, did I support them in their activities and, and all these things? You got this self-doubt. And you know the list. I mean, you got this self-doubt that comes in. And, and you, you deal with it. And so kids, I tell you this, your parents are doing the very best they can. They're trying as hard as they can, and they're going to mess it up. And so the grace that you want from them, you're going to have to extend back uh, because they love you and they, they do want the best for you and they do want to see you have this successful future and, 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 and they do want to see you grow closer to God. Uh, but, but it's hard. I mean, I mean, it's really hard. If you're the parent of a young kid, um, I know you got dreams probably. Everybody got a vision of what they got, you know. Everybody got a vision of what they want their kid to be, Right? I don't care what your vision is. What I want you to care about is what is God's vision for your child? And what is God's vision for your son or your daughter? I hope that's your vision because it's God's vision. He says, I want my children to be committed followers of Jesus Christ, period. And I want you to be that your vision. 
I want my children to become committed followers of Jesus Christ. That, that's God's vision for them. But what about grades and all this other stuff, you know? It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It might feel like it does in the moment. It might, it might seem like, you know, everybody's pushing you in that direction. Oh, you need to be this or do that. But it don't. You want to make sure that your kids are committed followers of Jesus Christ. And I tell you this because I've stood in bereavement rooms as families have got the worst load they've ever had in their whole life. I've stood on hills and said to prayer as families have walked away for the last time. I've stood beside roads where car wrecks have happened just with families that are shattered for the dreams they have are now just completely erased. And you know what did matter in that moment? That they knew Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that mattered. You can't guarantee that they're going to be committed followers of Jesus. But there's some things that you can do to help point them in the right direction. Uh, uh, right here it says don't aggravate your children or they'll become discouraged. You know, like I say, encourage them. But I want to tell you some, some of the things that you could do to, to, to help live into this fulfillment of what God has for them. These are just a few practical things. First, tell the truth. Kids can see straight through it. They know when you're not telling them the truth. Uh, and if you're saying one thing and doing another, they know it. If you're saying one thing about somebody in a circle and you're saying another thing about somebody in another circle or you treat them a different way, they, they can see straight through that. Stop it because you're leading kids down a path that they don't need to go down. Number two, inconsistency. The Harvard Sociological Institute says that the number one factor in preventing delinquency is the, the, the firm, fair, consistent discipline of a parent. And so be firm, be fair, be consistent as you're walking through this thing with them. Number three, criticism. If your child hears more criticism from you than they do compliments, you're going to crush their spirit. And there's nothing worse than somebody who's defeated before they even get out of bed. They're going to go and they're going to be taking a test at school and they're going to say, why should I try? I'm not going to do good enough anyway. They're going to go to the said activity, sport, whatever it is, and they're going to think I'm never going to be good enough because they're always getting these criticisms. So make sure that you're giving them praise as well. It takes a whole lot more praise to overcome a criticism, to build them back up, than it does to tear them down. Number four, favoritism. If you've got more than one child, don't have a favorite. Um, there's a lot of examples in the Bible. Joseph and his brothers, right? Esau. Uh, there's tons of examples in the Bible about this. Uh, if any of you have ever been compared to your siblings, you know this. Even if you're the favorite, right? Because there's some guilt that comes into play. And, and, and so, uh, so don't play the comparison games. I know one's a little angel and the other one's going to kill you. <laughs> but don't do it. Overcommitment. This will cause your kids to get discouraged. Uh, they feel like they're the source of all your stress. Because you felt like they needed to be a part of all these activities or you wasn't living into the American dream or you wasn't living into whatever. Uh, uh, and and so, so whenever they're going to marching band, and listen, marching band practices 12 hours a day through the summer. 
And, and so whenever you're forcing them to do these things, uh, uh, they, they just want to give up. And it actually hinders their performance in whatever it is that they're doing. And, and, and so, so don't overcommit. Domineering. When you step in and you try to correct all their mistakes, uh, it's healthy for them to mess up and to feel that consequence, to feel the weight of that. Uh, because if they can do it whenever they're living where you can help pick them back up, um, it's going to be a whole lot easier than if they fail and you're not around. Uh, and, and so let them feel the consequences of something they've done wrong. A couple final ones. Don't minimize their opinions because there's going to be a day that you would love for them to call you and get your opinion. And if you've, you've uh, uh, suppressed their opinions when they're young, they're going to think it don't matter anyway. Why should I even call? Trust me, you're going to want them to call. Um, control your expectations. Um, I know they're going pro. Whatever sport, I know they are. And I know they're going to be a lawyer so they can draw up their own contract. And, and even on top of that, they're probably going to get their CPA so they can manage their own money. But to expect all A's in engineering while they're doing all those other things is a little much. Control what you expect of them. Here's where I land. This is, this is it right here. Here's where I land. Uh, here's, as I read, and I've done this for over 27 years, here's where I find the biblical uh, explanation of what a parent should be. A parent is a partner with God that makes a disciple out of their child. Lead your children to Christ. Lead your children to Christ. Listen, above anything else, show them Jesus. The other stuff you can mess up, and that's going to that's work itself out. Trust me, they're gonna, they're gonna, they'll get over it. Lead your children to Christ. Theologian Charles Spurgeon said it this way. Before a child reaches seven, send them all the way to heaven. And better still, this work will, will thrive if he learns all this before age five. Do it young. Make that your mission field. Make that your focus. Parents, listen, I'm going to tell you this. This is this right here. This is it. This is bottom line. Everything here, Jesus is going to come back. All this is going to be burned up one day. There's only one thing on this planet. You can take to heaven, and that's your children. Make that your mission field as best you can. Of course they have their own free wills to choose what they want. Of course they have that opportunity to go down a path you would never, never dream for them. Of course they have all that. But also right in front of you, you have the greatest single opportunity to point them to a cross. A cross that not only changes their life, but it changes their eternity. And, and, and that, that is what this is all about. We are to hand over our faith. It's just like if you're in a relay race. The relay race doesn't stop and hand it. He does it in stride. So get them to where you are in your faith and let them run. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that's the only thing that's going to matter. No trophy. No grade. Do they know Jesus? As a society, we're at a crossroads. I mean, I don't care where you are politically, where you are economically, I, I, none of that matters. You can feel it. You can feel that, that something, that there's change. Change is happening. And, and, and we're here. And, and, and so 
what we need to do as parents, as grandparents, as neighbors, wherever you are. As the people, if you know a child, we got to pray for them. That is the single greatest weapon we have against the enemy. We, we, what we do is we line up the forces of heaven and we pour it out on them. If I told you you could do that today, you would do it in a minute if you're a parent. Well, you can. Through the power of prayer. We invite the holy to become part of the natural and something supernatural takes place. And so when we ask God to pour out on our kids, like, like when my kids were little, I remember uh, one time Devin, not, not Caden, but Devin was, was in, the, in the bathroom and he was yelling for me, right? You know what I did? I hung up my phone call and I ran to him because he needed me. So when we cry out to our Heavenly Father, he runs to us and he pours out. He pours out His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. And, and that's what we're asking God to do on our kids. That's what I do every day before I step on the floor. So I say, God, just take them. Take them by the hand and show them who you are. I want them to do good. I want them to have an easy life. I want these things. But more than anything, I want to know that our eternities are going to be spent together. You have that opportunity. This altar is open. It's a safe place. You can pray for your children. I don't care if they're 40 years old. I don't care if they're four years old. You have a divine opportunity to ask God to step in and to hold them tight to where they can't get away because there's an enemy. There's an enemy and he's prowling around and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy God said, I come so that you may have life. And that's what I pray for my kids. And you, the, the praise team's going to come. They're going to sing this song. And while this song is, we'll, we'll sing it for until Asbury's done. Pray for your kids. Today is the day of salvation. Put a stake in today and say, from now on, I'm going to be different. And I'm going to put my kids' knees. And I'm going to pray for them. And I'm going to hold them up before a God who can do anything. Pray for them. Father, I pray right now for this place and that all of our cares would be cast aside. Father, I pray that we find ourselves broken and humble before you for on our kids' sake, for our kids' sake. Maybe it's not our, our biological kids. Maybe it's some kids we know. Maybe it's our neighbors. Maybe it's kids that grew up and now they're gone and they've got their own family. Father, I pray right now that, that our hearts are broken for them. And, and we start praying that you step in and you intervene on behalf of them. And I pray, Father, that today we find the meaning of being a parent. Amen.